So I love that idea of like connecting things. You're like, you can think of it as like, you're the conductor of an orchestra. I'm like, I don't know, I get off on that. I'm a weirdo. I love logistics. I love when like things come together and like plans happen and like, I'm just weird, but I guess I'm like hardwired for that. Hi everyone, it's Joe. You're listening to Occupational Hazards a series of candid conversations with some of the most inspiring people I know as they share their path to finding their calling and all the gritty realities of their jobs. Whether you want to demystify your dream job or are someone like me who enjoys getting a peek into other people's work lives, then this is the podcast for you. Our next guest has parlayed her success in film into a thriving skincare venture and she has a message for working moms everywhere. Stephanie Walmsley is a producer in the entertainment industry, as well as the founder and CEO of beauty brand Prim. She began her career in front of the camera, working as a theater actor, commercial model, and TV host for over a decade. She then trained at the American Academy of the Dramatic Arts in New York, majored in English and theater at Hunter College, and then made the shift to working behind the camera as a full-time freelance producer. In 2010, Steph co-produced The God of Love, a short film about a lounge singing darts champion who mysteriously receives a box of love-inducing darts. The film won best live action short at the 83rd Academy Awards the following year. Steph went on to do production work for the likes of Fox, NBC, and HBO. Her busy, busy lifestyle began to wreak havoc on her skin. And so she worked on developing an all-natural face oil inspired by the natural beauty remedies that she grew up with in the Philippines. She enrolled at the School for Aromatic Studies to learn the science behind green beauty and then officially launched Prim Botanicals in 2015. What started out as a face oil to save her own skin has flourished into a line of all natural products with a mission to share as many beautiful ingredients from her home country with the rest of the world and do good in the process. Prim's products have been featured in Vogue, InStyle, Allure, and Refinery29. Her Instagram bio summarizes her story best, saying that she has, I quote, sold knives, produced films, won one an Oscar, hosted a TV show, started a beauty brand, gotten hitched, and made a child. What an adventure. Here is Steph Walmsley to tell us all about it. Hi, Steph. Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us. How cold is it over there? It's it's so cold. The snow is like... (laughs) There's like I think in the last two weeks we've had more snow than we've had in like 15 years or something. So it's so cold and just covered in snow. He's sending you sunshine and warmth from the tropics. Thank you. I know. I like every time my Instagram feed, like all my friends and family back home, I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I'm so jealous. But then of course they're jealous because of like being in the snow. But yeah. it's only cute for like a day and then it's black slush. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about how you're feeling now, but where are you in your pandemic arc? 
Yeah, I, I guess like a lot of people, like in the deja vu part of the arc, it's like, oh, it feels oddly familiar. It feels a lot like last year. But no, we're good. I mean, our son is in daycare, so we have very little complaints and it's it's been good. We're lucky. I'm in Jersey City. We left New York three years ago when I got pregnant and Jersey and New York have been pretty good, is, is whatever that means right now. So we've been in school, we've been fine. We're taking, you know, every precaution, um, not much to complain about, but just the general, like, you know, when there was no indoor dining, like kind of hard, you're like literally eating in igloos. <laughs> they like set up these like heated igloos and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, but we're hopeful. I mean, I have a lot of friends that have already gotten vaccinated, but either work in hospitality or um, in healthcare and stuff. So yeah, definitely finally feeling hopeful. Oh, yeah, we could all use a bit of hope right now. So it's I'm so glad that you guys are doing well over there. Yes, thank you. How yeah. are you doing? I'm okay. This is helping. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it's nice to connect. Yeah, this is like the biggest virtual dinner party. <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> my other friends. <laughs> no, I mean, so I read your entire bio and it's a lot. I mean, in terms of, <laughs> no, in a good way. I am... I have so many questions and I'd love to ask you about both your work and kind of behind the camera, in front of the camera, as well as your venture. But one thing I want to get out of the way, what's with the knives part? You said you sold knives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. So in college, there's this company here called Cutco, which we've affectionately nicknamed Cultco. And you sell knives and you (laughs) like cooking knives, but it's like door to door knife selling. And it's extremely odd, but they are the best knives ever. (laughs) It's so strange. But yeah, I've had to like go into both like really sketchy apartments and like multi-million dollar homes um, then sold knives. Yes, I did that. How did your acting background come in handy? Because you've been acting since you were seven, no? Yes. Yeah. When I started my first professional paycheck, I was seven. I was in The King and I in Morocco. I feel like everyone should take acting classes whether or not they want to be an actor or even act because like you need a lot of acting in life. I feel like I use my acting skills um, more than any other skill probably just to get by in life. Yeah, because lawyers take acting classes, especially the ones who have to show up in court, no? But I think for sales... Yeah, I mean, and we're all, like, everyone's selling, right? You're either selling or buying or both. So I just feel like it just helps. Like, everyone's like, you're so happy and positive all the time. I'm like, am I? Or did I just... (laughs) Am I just good at acting? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I guess take it till you make it, I guess. Nice. So can you maybe tell me about how you started in your acting career and then how that evolved into kind of behind the camera and then yeah and everything like let's start from there your origin story if you will I don't even yeah I know I don't it's like it's the craziest bio ever okay I'll start from like back and then go forward because I've had many days where I've been like what is up with my journey It, it never seemed linear but then I kind of just came to the conclusion that I just am someone that likes to create and do things with my brain because I really believe idle mind is a devil's playground and like that is me 100%. So acting was really my first love and of course that's all about creating and um, characters but it was that was all it was you know it was really a love and I modesty aside I happened to be good at it um, I guess because I just really enjoyed it. I also started really young and that's all I ever wanted to do. 
in my life and was like crazy passionate about it in high school. Like my entire yearbook is like, hey, Steph, big actress, blah, blah, blah. And then I moved to New York to go to American Academy of Dramatic Arts. It's a theater conservatory. You have to audition to get in. Like Grace Kelly went there, Paul Rudd, like those are just two of the names off the top of my head, but like a ton of amazing people went there. It was a big deal. But then yeah, that was kind of a rude awakening. I remember the first day of class, we were in orientation and the director was like, how many of you were the stars of your show, wherever you're from? So we all raised our hand. How many of you believe that you'd move to New York and be a big actor and everyone back home is rooting for you? We all raised our hand. It's like, how many of you believe you're special? Like, go ahead, admit it. You know, we all raise our hand. It's like, guess what happens when everyone in the room thinks that they're special? no one is <laughs> we're like oh my god he's like there's 800,000 actors in New York and like less than one percent are working blah 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 this whole thing and it just suddenly it was like I realized the realities of trying to become an actor in America especially but more than that I found that what I loved about it which in my head was a very emotional private thing I didn't want to turn into my source of income you know and I didn't like the world itself like it was highly competitive like even your best friends if they were also fellow actors like you couldn't help but compete and like you're happy for friends but it's just I don't know it's just it's tough for sure and then I would like help my friends who were casting stuff and I would go in and be like the actor that reached during the audition and like amazing actor after amazing actor would walk in and audition just like Jesus like how's anyone ever gonna make a name for themselves under these conditions where like everyone's talented everyone's great you know you feel it's very humbling but in that process I discovered that I actually really like control and if you like control like being an actor is probably not for you because so much of it is just waiting for someone else to you know give you a job and I always say like growing up in Manila is where I discovered my love of acting, but I also felt like, at least back then, I mean, I, I can't speak to now at all, but at least back then, a lot of my options felt more limited for what I might want to do. And then when I moved to New York, it was like, bam, like the whole world opened up and it was like, wait, there's so many things that I could be or do. And the way that I fell into producing was because I was just kind of always like a busybody, smart ass on every set that I was an actor on. And I'd be like, how much did you get this location for? I bet I could have gotten it for cheaper or like, you know, like, like uh, if, they, if I knew the director like didn't cast somebody yet, I'd like go ahead and cast them. And they'd all kind of like say in snarky ways, like, you know, why don't you just produce this then? <laughs> like, I know they were saying it as like, shut up stuff, but I was like, you know what, maybe I should produce something. And then I started learning more about what producing was. And I really embraced that I am a, type a control freak and I was like wait this is amazing like you literally are responsible for everything and create every aspect I was like yeah so I lied basically and um said that I <laughs> knew how to produce and that I'd had experience and then well I mean that's like a whole other story but then that's how I wound up producing God of Love which is what won the Oscar but I like definitely fake it till you make it and then that was when I like kind of made the switch to producing because again like acting was like something that I loved but it was suddenly this like thing that I had to wait to you know be discovered while waiting tables like the super cliche 
the funny thing is I really miss it now more than anything. And I, I can't wait to take acting classes, but just for myself, like I just miss the theater more than anything. Not as like, you know, I want to do this and be famous and be all that. Like, no, I'm glad I got over that. Yeah, because God of Love was actually the first, or you and two co-producers were the first Filipinos to win an Academy Award. Yes. I mean, so- yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, when for short films, like the, the director gets to go home with the statue. I feel like people always wonder about that. And then for feature films, the producers get it uh, because really the producers, you really do do a lot. But for short films, like that was really Luke's passion project. Not diminishing anything I did because <laughs> I did. I totally worked my ass off, especially because I did not know what the F I was doing. Like I literally Googled how to produce a film. <laughs> producing for dummies but okay I will get into that story that book is gonna be a bestseller it's like (laughs) how to win an Oscar with this guide ridiculous so I heard about producing and again people were always saying like you should just produce like in a snarky way I was like all right let me try and my first job out of college was for a digital media agency that produced morning TV show segments, like on the Today Show or Good Morning America, like top 10 Father's Day gifts or whatever. And so that, you know, I ended up getting hired by them and the pay was terrible, but I got a business card that said producer. So I was like, awesome. Okay. Somehow I got this. And then from there, you know, I met somebody that was working on a short film and I was like, Hey, can I produce it? Like, you know, we're all young. Like there's no money. Everyone's like, sure. And kind of like, didn't really know what I was doing. But then after that, I got a call from my friend Josephine, who is an amazing director, actually, like Josephine Decker, who's amazing. And like, she's won at Sundance and all this stuff. Um, And I had done a play with her and she was like, hey, Steph, I'm producing this music video. Like I'm directing a music video in Brooklyn. Will you be a giant dancing plate? And I was like, okay. It's like, it's in a diner. Like like, Beauty and the Beast? Yes, exactly. And so when I got there, I met this guy who was dressed as a giant spatula. And that was Luke, who's the director of God of Love. And, you know, we were talking in this diner in Brooklyn, wearing these crazy costumes. And (laughs) I was like, so what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm a director. I'm working on a short film. And I was like, do you have a producer? And he was like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) He's like, who is this girl? He was went to NYU. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I would love to produce it. He's like, do you have experience? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a producer. (laughs) I mean, in fairness, like, I guess I had the business card that said it. And I had, like, worked on one other short film. And he was like, okay, well, I'm not going to have the script for like a month and a half. I was like, that's cool. You know, I'll be in touch. Can I get your email? Like super pushy. I don't know what came over me. And he said, okay. Then I marked in my calendar for like a month and a half. And then a week before that, I emailed him and I was like, hey, look at stuff. Are you still going to have that script in a week? Because, you know, I'd love to see it. Like he told me later on, he was like, who is this girl? But I guess that's what you need to be a producer. Like just literally no shame. So he's like, yeah, okay, here's the script. And then I swear, I swear on anything, I Googled how to produce a short film. And if you do that, you're going to see every single thing a producer is responsible for, which like has some casting, some locations, some script edits. It's like, you know, it's kind of like an oversee and you're not really meant to do it all right away. I didn't know that. So I thought I had like a couple weeks to produce the film. So by the time I wrote back to Luke, like I didn't sleep, like I was insane. I had headshots, I had possible locations, I had script notes, I had figured out like what 
I thought the budget should be. And he was like, okay, well, I guess you're producing this film now. <laughs> and that's how I ended up producing Out of Love. And I was the only one who was not an NYU grad film student. And yeah, just got myself onto the film and then <laughs> won an Oscar. And like, if you want to talk about imposter syndrome, like, but I mean, I also got a casting director credit, which is cool. Cause again, I thought that that was something I was supposed to do as well. So, I mean, that's amazing. First of all, that <laughs> it's almost like it was meant to be, but I have a question about kind of your role on the production team For, mm-hmm. of the crew. How many of them had acting experience? Like how many of them had been in front of the camera? No one actually, as far as I know, if anyone had, they didn't mention. They were all like students that were all working on, you know, their craft. By then they were grad film students. So like, you know, whoever was behind the camera, like was pretty serious about being a cinematographer and whatnot. So it, it definitely helped that I had acting experience because when it came to the casting process and also with editing the script, you know, with giving my notes and stuff, I think that Mm -hmm. that was really helpful. Yeah, because you, I mean, you're, you're being self-deprecating, but I, I'm sure you brought a totally <laughs> I mean, different point of view, what? right? I will say that because of my raging imposter syndrome, this was like before that term even existed, honestly, like I worked my ass off. So I will give myself all that credit because I was the youngest. I did by far the least experience, like the other producers that were on it, they had all been doing this. I mean, again, like they were grad film students, like this was not you know, like I come in, like, um, so I, I, I did so much work. So I'll definitely, I won't downplay that. So I, I don't know what the lesson is, but I guess, you know, get yourself in the door and then work your ass off. I remember my first day on set, I walked in, this was like a real turning point, maybe not to be so dramatic, but like maybe in my life. And I walked in the set and it was like my first day that we were actually like first day of production. We'd have done all this pre-production and I get there and None of the other producers are there that day. They're all busy doing some other stuff. There was like three other ones. I was by far, like I said, the most junior. I walked in, some guy runs up to me and he was like, oh, the car got in an accident. Another girl was like, ah, you know, I I have a headache. Another person was like, I don't know, just like all these problems like coming at me. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And so I called Gigi, the other producer. And I was like, Gigi, I don't know what to do. Like I'm freaking out, I don't know what to do. And she's like, Stephanie, take a deep breath. You are the producer. It is your job to know what to do. I can't talk right now. Goodbye. And I was like, <laughs> and so I like went into the bathroom and literally like stared at my face like a scene in a freaking movie. And I was like, you can do this. You are the producer. You do not get to know what not to do. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I was just like, <sighs> and I went outside. Yeah, it was like, I know, seriously, it was like, I was like, it was just crazy. And I went outside and I was like, all right, you call this department, you do this, you do that, you do this. And uh, it was actually amazing. It was like, I just summoned the courage and I was able to pull out all the fires. And then Luke came up to me and he was like, so how are things going? And I like vented everything that had happened that day. And he's like, stop, let me give you some advice. When the director asked the producer how things are, it's a completely rhetorical question. You're just supposed to say they're fine. I was like, oh, okay, it's fine. Great. Everything's great. And there was like a time when like, literally there was like a fire on set and he didn't know yet. And he's like, how are things going? And I was like, they're fine. He's like, no, no, stuff. I really want you to tell me how things are. I'm like, no, they're fine. They're great. Everything's perfect. He's like, no, seriously, I'm asking you to tell me like what's going on. I was like, everything's fine. <laughs> like I thought it was like a test, but no, I seriously like that moment of just having to 
collect myself and tell myself that it was my job to know whatever the hell that meant. Honestly, life-changing advice. So if you had to describe what a producer does, I mean, I think you've given us a pretty clear picture, but like if you had to explicitly kind of explain to somebody who is considering that as a career, how would you describe yeah. it? The word is really produce, right? So like, what does that mean? That means that you are literally responsible for creating something like without you, it's not there. So to be more specific, the director, you know, especially for something small, like the director might also be the writer, whatever, and he has his vision, but it's up to the producer to completely execute everything. I mean, it's no wonder that a lot of producers happen to be female because it's like women are just like multitasking. It's like, you know, if you're a mom that works, I tell everyone like you could be a producer, you just get it done. That's literally your job. I mean, this executive producer, which if you're very famous, like you can just like lend your name to, to help something get like greenlit and get made, or you would finance it or find the money, but producer, the actual producer doesn't really have as much to do with that. I mean, certainly you could be responsible for raising some of the funds, but it's more of like you're overseeing everything. If you're a creative producer, which is the kind of production I've always been interested in, then you really get your hands dirty by, you know, giving script notes, giving say on cast. A lot of times you'll even be the one to hire the director if it worked that way around. Uh, Of course, there's some things that change here or there, but it's like you're the person that gets things done and orchestrates everything I would say if that helps so it's like you're it's literally like going back to the word like what it means to produce and you're the one that that makes it yeah that's why at the and the Oscars like the feature film that actually goes to the producers because the idea is that without them it wouldn't get made but then you know for a short film that is 100% the directors like that's their passion project and they would then bring on producers I love Luke's speech (laughs) Yeah, he's the best. He's like the the best loved speech of all time. (laughs) When he thanked his mom for being craft services. And honestly, she was the best. I mean, you know, I, the one I will say, like, when I met Luke, it was shortly after his father had passed away and after my father had passed away. And I, as we got to know each other, I was like, Luke, I need you to win an Oscar because I promised my dad that I would go to the Oscars one day. And he was like, why did you promise your dad that? I was like, I don't know. He made me. He was like, what are you supposed to say? And he had actually put in some of the money that he got uh, after his father passed into the film. So it was as personal as could be. And I remember we were standing on the red carpet about to enter the Oscars. And we looked at each other and we're like, let's do this one for our dads. And after we, I can't even talk about it without getting emotional. But after we won, we just felt like as crazy as that was and how improbable that all seemed. We were these kids from New York. You know, we totally felt like in as much as anyone can believe in divine intervention, like that's a thousand percent what it was. Yeah. I I, I love the story so much. Yeah, it's really special. I read all the interviews about it and that story would come up and it's just, (laughs) it's really special. Throughout the whole production process though, I mean, you know, working with Luke and everyone on the team, what would you say, not just on that production, but in general, what would you say is your favorite part about being a producer? And then maybe the the not so favorite parts. Yeah. So, um, and that's actually a good question because it can help bring me closer to present day. Um, it's <laughs> being a producer and being an entrepreneur, I think, are pretty much the same thing. Like, I think the skill sets are the same. 
So it's the same thing that I love for both. It's like this idea that something exists because of you. And I love, although producing is far more collaborative, which I like because you need other people to do it. Whereas, you know, an entrepreneur, you can start off being very insular. So I love that idea of like connecting things. You're like, you can think of it as like, you're the conductor of an orchestra. And like, I don't know, I get off on that. I'm a weirdo. I love logistics. I love when like things come together and like plans happen and like, I'm just weird, but I guess I'm like hardwired for that. And then what I don't like is like, it's, I mean, it's so stressful. Like you literally have to remind yourself that you're like not curing cancer, <laughs> that it's like, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it feels like it. And then the highs are high, but the lows are low. And it's just, it's a lot of uphill battles. But I, yeah, again, like I'm just, I'm built for it. So I love it. And running on the fuel of that promise, which is, I'm sure your father was so proud of you. That's, it's a what I mean, honestly, like, what the hell? Like, might as well, like, make me promise to go to the moon. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the only thing that sucked about the whole thing is that we were, you know, we were all younger. It was like literally the start of my career. And we were like, why couldn't we have been like 70 at the Oscars? Then we could be like, okay, mic drop, you know? People were like, what's next? And I'm like, geez, like, why did this? It's like, what do you mean, what's next? But what actually happened was I came back to New York and I then worked in production and I got to skip like being a PA, like an assistant, thank God. But then I got to see like what the production world was actually like beyond our like super special passion project, which also like I worked on God of Love for years. I don't think people realize that. But when you work on a production, um, even a short film, like you, it's like literally years of your life often if you're the producer. I mean, in your case, like your first try, you guys won the award, but I guess I that's not as common for a lot of producers, no, who might maybe sink X no. amount of time into a film or a project and then have it not get the same critical acclaim or even commercial success that you guys uh, had so yeah and I mean um, and like there were no like realities yet right like I didn't I always knew that I wanted to be a mom but I didn't know like what that would would have to mean in the world as like a production you know in producing you know something really telling is like we I was invited to Soho House in LA which is not that big they were holding, I mean, it's big, but I'll, I'll get there, but they were holding like women in film, a gala on like the second floor of the Soho house. And I, it struck me because I was like, wow, like you can actually contain all the women working in film on like the second floor of a building in Los Angeles, which I guess is just the rest of it's like the men. And it was, I just, I don't know, I found that to be really fascinating, but like you could have an event for that in the smaller space. And um, I mean, you see, it's just like, it's like in any industry, like you see how it becomes harder for women, especially when you want to be a mom and you want to be like a hands-on mom and all that stuff. Like, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So how did you, I guess, pivot from producing to your current? Yeah. So of course I thought, you know, starting my own business would be easier, but um, so when I worked on different films and TV shows and stuff, I made it a point to like figure out who was the most high powered female mom. And I would just, I, I don't know, I, all the stories that I talk about myself, it's like, I literally just don't have any shame, but I guess I don't. Actually, I remember, this is besides the point, but I remember really early on, like really good advice that I got about 
you know, being an Asian in America is to stop apologizing all the time, which I'm still working on, and then to stop feeling like you can't take up space or you can't be the one that's like, hey, can I get five minutes of your time? So I was glad that I learned those two things early on, because I guess once the, the switch flipped, I was like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Uh, but I used to not be that way, actually. I used to really be, I guess you could say, like, a lot more Asian, whatever that means. But, like, I really would, like, be like, excuse me, so sorry, you know. And now I'm like, hey. But anyway, so, sorry. I was digressing a bit. So I... Your metamorphosis into a new... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also, like, if I'm desperate enough, like, I'll do it. Yeah, I know. Like, I've actually... New York has shaped me. Like, I used to be such a doormat and not anymore. Yeah, so I would find these moms and I'd be like, hey, you know, can I talk to you? And, you know, around this time, everyone's like talking about like Sheryl Sandberg and like leaning in and all this stuff. And so I'd be like, how do you do it? How do you be this woman on the top of your game and a mom? And they would all say the same thing. They would say like, well, you don't. Like, don't don't beat yourself up if you can't. This like lean in thing is like great if that works for some people, but it's, it's not really realistic, you know, it's just not. And so some of them, they had their kids homeschooled or some of them, like their husband was a composer and they'd take jobs at different times or like whatever. But you would kind of always hear that there would have to be these concessions made because it's also not like every film that I would work on, every TV show would be in New York, right? I mean, ideally, but it's like, it's not. And like, it's not even exciting if it's all in New York. So that was like, okay, well, maybe if I work in photos, maybe that'll be like less demanding on moms. And so I worked for arguably the top photo producer uh, in New York. And so at the time we were working on Sephora campaigns, like really big ones. And I remember it was like 1030 at night. We were in her office in Chelsea and she looked at me and she was like, do you want to know why I send my kids to the most expensive private school that I can? And I was like, no, why? And she's like, so that I feel less guilty about being here with you than at home with them. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, what is this? And um, yeah, so I was like, try to like, and again, like if someone's listening, it's like, I'm not saying that you can't do both. I'm just saying that there is a reality and that it's okay to have that inform your decisions. And it's okay to choose career. I just, at the time, I really thought that what I wanted to do was like, stay home with a kid all day, which is funny because <laughs> like he's in daycare and that's a great thing. So I, um, I, you know, around this time, my skin was freaking out and green beauty, clean beauty, all that stuff was like super early days. I guess this was now like maybe five, six years ago. And it was either like super expensive stuff at Bergdorf or Barney's or like really cheap, like DIY at like Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or something. So I was like, ah, you know, I, why don't I just make a face oil? I already told all my friends, like, guys, I have a new business venture. I'm going to make a face oil. I had no idea what I, was like, what I was doing. And I bought some oils and I mixed it in my face, like burned. And <laughs> it was, like, went horribly wrong. And then I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that easy. So I, you know, I took lessons and I learned and I enrolled in school and I took classes. And this was just meant to be a hobby. In my personal life, I was also going through a divorce around this time, and it was just something for me to uh, do and like put all my energy in, and I loved it. And then when I finally kind of made this one face oil, it turned out to be great. 
And then, I don't know, it was like this hobby. I partnered with a childhood friend in the beginning, Victoria Toda, who's an esthetician. And we were like, all right, let's see where this goes. And um, yeah, I, again, because I am all or nothing, I am just like either going to produce the heck out of something or I'm just not even going to, I'm just going to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> right now it's like quite a big business and I don't, I don't know how I got here to be honest. Like I remember doing my first big trade show and I walked in Javits Center, which is this huge place in New York. It's like where the biggest trade shows are. I mean, that's it as far as New York's concerned. And I was like, what the heck am I doing here? How did I get here? Like, like we've been in Vogue twice. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's again, I'm not trying to be too self-deprecating, but it's like, what the hell? Like I, I was just like trying to make a face oil to like feel better about my life that was falling apart. But yeah, I don't know. I'm here to ride the wave, I guess. I think I just need to always make something and yeah. It's almost like you're successively checking items off a list, right? It's like build an empire, win an Oscar. <laughs> like what else is on that list? I mean, normally I save this for the end, but you know, what's next? Yeah. What would be your so, dream project? Uh, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know. You know what? I've come to embrace that I don't know. And I have to give a huge shout out to my husband. Hi, Javi. Because he is not an entrepreneur. He's been at the same business, the same company for like 10 or 12 years. He's a senior advertising executive. And like, he's not allowed to be an entrepreneur. It's like, babe, just see that ladder, climb it. That's great. Like this household needs some freaking stability. And um, because he is that way, it really, I feel so blessed and so fortunate that it allows me all of these like ridiculous pursuits. Because honestly, having a startup, and I mean, I'll get into that, but like, it's, you know, it's tough on the family. Like it's, it's tons of risk. It's, you know, so I'm very grateful. So uh, it's, it's very nice to find that balance with someone that's just like, I'm just going to stay on my path. Um, but what's next is there is a production that is scheduled to start filming in the Philippines that I really cannot talk about yet, but I hope to be able to talk about soon. And that would be incredibly exciting. And then there was stuff that I was going to be working on already last year with Paul Soriano. Hi, Paul. That all got pushed, but hopefully after this horrible pandemic passes, like that'll pick up. But also a friend of mine, she's also Filipina. She's also a mom. We're launching a brand called Santo, which is home sense. It's like home sense and rituals with like ceramic vessels and like these little ceramic stone beads that you put scents on and there's like crystals involved. I don't know. So I'm launching a whole other <laughs> business just because I Prim is now like a job. It's like, it's stressful and I still love it. I'm grateful for it. But uh, you asked what I love about producing and I don't have that much anymore with Prim, like just that pure beginning, I guess, of something. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. Wow. I'm super excited for you because if your track record is anything, to, you know, to go by... <laughs> Whatever you launch is good. I mean, I can't. Really oh, it. I hope. <laughs> yeah. But I guess over the six years, so just shifting a bit to kind of how you built Prim, um, I actually, as kind of research for this, because I follow you in the brand on Instagram, and I was watching all the unboxing videos <laughs> that your customers, yeah, because I wanted to see kind of how people, I mean, it's very difficult to communicate what the brand is like in an audio format, right? Because it's like, yes. and like the packaging is so. Yes kind of central to it but one thing that people kept commenting on was actually 
aside from the product and the efficacy, you know, they, they loved the packaging and they loved the way it was marketed. Like you, you talk a lot about kind of magic, you know, one reviewer was saying that, you know, she bought it because it said, you know, it's like a fairy godmother, except the magic won't <laughs> disappear after midnight. Is that all you? The copywriting and the brand voice, yes, I can take credit for. The design I worked on with my super amazing, talented cousin, Paulina Ortega. Hey, I'm going to make her listen to this. But yeah, I mean, I think the best advice really is just to like surround yourself with people that are super talented. Um, but yes, I love copywriting. I Something that I discovered, I love making sense. So I care very much about tone and brand voice. So it's that's been really fun for me. But yeah, so she did the design, especially with our rebrand that we just did in August. That was like a great, she'll like, I don't know. I think it's, it must be in our blood. Like I totally like put that ball in her corner. She'll like give me credit, but no, it's Paulina Ortega forever. Um, yeah, no, she's the best. I read in an interview that you answer every DM and customer inquiry. Is that still true until today? Yeah, it's a problem. I have a team of interns. I love them. Hi, guys. Um, I have one. I have like my first hire who's Gabby, who does like all the marketing. And then we have these four interns that we love and they don't want to leave. So I'm very flattered. Like we're like, isn't your semester over? And they're like, yeah, but we'll stay if we can. I'm like, okay, sure. It's like the movie High Fidelity where like the guys he works with just don't yeah. shut the shop. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm just like collecting interns, but I love them. But yeah, so they, they're always mad at me because they're, they're trying to do customer service and I always like beat them to it because I'll answer it like midnight while I'm in the shower and they're like, stop, like how, we'll stop. And I'm like, okay, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I really do answer a lot. Except if somebody's like really mean then and is like, is this Stephanie? I'm like, no, no, sorry, it's not Steph. I don't know where she is. Like I've given myself vacations, <laughs> like uh-huh. fake vacations. Yeah, I faked a lot of stuff. Before I actually had a team, like I was intern, janitor, accounting. Like I had like five different emails and I ran all of them. I remember when like, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on. I was going to say like when InStyle was like, yeah, send your intern over. I was like, yeah, sure. Of course, it was just me like dropping off the box. Did you actually assume different identities? There was this piece that came out on, I think, Aquafina recently in some Hollywood trade publication. And she talked about how in the early days of her career, she would like pretend to be her manager, <laughs> either her manager yeah. or her agent. It was like, you know, please send the script to, let's say, I don't know, so-and-so. And then <laughs> have an email account where she would like pretend to be the agent. I mean, did you actually, I were you transparent to, yeah. about no, like, no, I am running it? No, I've definitely, I mean, like, I, I would always, like, sign off, like, prim- or just, like, not sign off, because I didn't know what to do, and then I remember with accounting, someone's like, who is this, what's your name, and I was like, Ronnie, <laughs> so I totally just was a guy, and then for, like, PR, I was Isabella, <laughs> I was like, and I was really doing it for, like, just to be funny, but then I was like, oh, god, now I have to be this guy, Ronnie, and this girl, Isabella, this is weird. But that was only a couple of times and that was really just for fun. Um, otherwise, I just I just completely dodged that. But now, I mean, now I do have other people that are actually answering, like real humans <laughs> that are actually helping me. So it's it's easier. Like there is actually like our different departments now. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. But I guess in terms of getting feedback from your customers, because if, I think in the same interview I was reading, you, you mentioned that you love getting that direct feedback and that's why you actually went B2C yeah. before you 
explored yeah. wholesale right yeah I mean, totally yeah yeah I love trade shows I love pop-ups I love just knowing people think like I'm totally I harass our customers all the time <laughs> they're like they'll post like I love this hair oil and I'll like DM them like why do you love it how did you use it <laughs> what how can we improve it like don't tell me you love me tell, tell me you hate it and tell me why <laughs> like, oh my god but um, because of that, I have like really good relationships. Like a lot of them follow me on my personal Instagram account. Um, you know, they all congratulated me when Ollie was born. Like, you know, we have we have very special relationships. So it's good. Yeah, that's probably part of what forms the attachment to the brand as well. No? Yeah, they just imagine me making them kulit. <laughs> like, How do you translate you know, kulit? How do you translate kulit uh, for a non-Filipino or non-Tagalog? persistent af i guess yeah yeah bugging persistently bugging, bugging. Yeah, yeah it's like you unbox and it's like my voice is in the box hi yeah. this is Steph. what do you think <laughs> yeah but you know i i actually saw one of the things that you wrote on the page to somebody because this is something i wanted to ask you also about your views on kind of brands and how intertwined they are with the founders and the founders values and Mm -hmm. I guess especially uh, in recent years you know Mm -hmm. there's been this big debate about should brands take a stand especially fashion Mm -hmm. and beauty brands you know should brands take a stand on political issues and kind of will that turn off you know a certain segment of the audience and do the founders care about that maybe could you talk a little bit about some of your encounters with customers who didn't agree with the stance that your brand took on some issues yeah I think that's actually a really good question and I think um you know being uh, born and raised in the Philippines you know being Asian I think that that also like we are all taught you know you don't talk politics you don't talk religion you don't talk any of this stuff ever 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 and then with brands, like brands are not meant to have any kind of a voice, right? Like, you know, they'll always like yell at Vogue, like stick to fashion. And then if Vogue posts about fashion, then they're like, there's so much going on in the world and all you do is post about fashion. So I feel like Prim has gotten a little bit of that. But um, for me and how I've talked to our team is how do we be sincere in our messaging is really the most important thing to me because I don't want to be performative either. You know, I don't want to like just jump on whatever hashtag is trending or whatever you're supposed to do on Instagram. And and I will say that like Instagram can, there's a lot of pressure there, you know, like you're meant to react right away. And sometimes it takes people a little bit longer to form their thoughts and think about how they want to address things that are going on. But, you know, I, I told our team, like, listen, like there's no racism. That's not political. Like that's just not being a bad person I, I want to swear but like <laughs> for the interest of keeping this not uh, explicit and then like how can we be uplifting as a brand how can we without also being like it's a fine line because you don't want to be like everything's good positive vibes love love you know and like things are not good like how do we talk about this so one of the ways that I've sort of navigated that is really try to open up the discussion to the community and being like how are you guys feeling and um, engaging them that way and trying to you know and then we've we've had people with like really strong opinions like right and I'm always like you know I'd, I'd love to hear you out and then that's when I'll usually jump in if, if it's not like because I have somebody that runs my social now but that's you know I, re- I still do read every comment and I'll be like hey this is stuff this is the founder like can we switch to dms and i've had like some serious like you know like all lives matter conversations and stuff where i'm like ah, this is tough and i'm just like you know 
listen, like I, I, this is what we're about. And we're, we're not here to say like all lives matter. That seems like pretty obvious. Like we're trying to point out the lies like black lives matter. And we're trying to talk about Asian Americans and just other minority groups. And we're trying to highlight that because right now it feels like they don't matter, you know? And um, usually it would, it would go, it would go really well. Like, I think if the most important thing is like, I, I really, as a human, I try not to engage in cancel culture. I try not to, you know, kick people off the platform just if, if they have a different viewpoint, but I will invite them to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion and um, it's their prerogative what brand they want to buy. Uh, they don't have to support, but this is where we are. But meanwhile, on my personal, that's that's where I, I'm a lot more vocal and a lot more all these things because it's it's not that I don't want to say things with Prime. It's just that I again I want to be true to the what the brand is. We're we're meant to be about spreading happiness, spreading awareness, and all of that. So yeah, man, it it gets really tricky, especially when you 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 can't also control everyone that uses your product. Like yeah, <laughs> and then oh yeah, this is like a separate thing. But like the green, like the wellness world right now is like, whew, like in the organic world, there's been a lot of like conspiracy theories and just all this stuff. So I like literally when the pandemic hit, I had to go on and be like, guys, you cannot put lavender oil on COVID to make it go away. Like, <laughs> like oh my god. So. Um, yeah, you know, so I, I try to avoid that stuff, too, because that's a slippery slope. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the pandemic, how did that affect the way you thought about your business and even your career or some of the choices that you've made? So this is where I will, again, try, you know, not be, I will put modesty aside. Um, I do really well under pressure, which is kind of a problem. A problem because it's like, I need pressure. <laughs> no, otherwise I'm like, I'll just watch a lot of TV and go to bed. Um, but like when there's like stuff going down, like you seriously, like you want me there, like I'm good. Uh, so when it first started happening, when like in March of last year, I, you know, was trying to help friends that couldn't find hand sanitizer. And I was like, you know, I have some suppliers. I think I can get you guys some. And one of my friends was like, why don't you just make it? It was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh yeah, good idea. Because here I am just like <laughs> giving out advice for free. Um, not necessarily best business moment. So I called my lab director and I was like, hey, Tony, he's like this amazing Italian-American guy. And he's like, hey, Stephanie, what can I do for you? And I was like, Ed, can I, can I make hand sanitizer? And he's like, actually, yeah, I've been making sanitizer and like the FDA's already been by and I'm supplying hospitals. And he's like, what do you want? And I was like, whoa, all right, yeah, let me, I want to get in on that. He's like, okay, it's uh, $50,000. <laughs> I was like, what? Seriously, like the price of alcohol and aloe vera and all this stuff had gone up so much. Like it was worth more than gasoline, which is crazy that in order to get into the game, I had to put in a ton of money, like which I didn't have and like, which felt really scary. Cause like that would like, what <laughs> the world is shutting down. So I talked to my husband again, shout out to him. And I think I was just really convincing. I was like, listen, I can get, we can get in on this and we just need to do this. So I invested the money. <sighs> I remember I took a shot of tequila and then just like called Tony and was like, all right, shoot, let's do it. And it was even so difficult to get the bottles. It was like the wild, wild, wild. Like a bigger company bought out my shipment from underneath me. Like they literally stopped the pallet from going out. Like, oh no, it was crazy. It. 
yeah, 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 yeah. No, you can't even understand. Like all bottles disappeared. Like on one hand, it was like crazy because like, you know, people's lives were literally at stake, both like their actual lives and then their livelihood. And then on the other hand, like I'm exposed to this world of like, you know, you can't import from China. So now suddenly all these American companies are actually having booms. And like one, one of my, uh, Supplier said that like they have one customer that would normally maybe order a thousand units a month and just started ordering a hundred thousand units. Like things were going crazy in terms of like supply chain for like trying to find hand soap containers and all this stuff. And so yeah, we threw our we threw our range of the game. I lied down, I went into the bathroom, I lied down on the floor in the dark and was like had a proper panic attack. You know, at this point, my toddler's like home and definitely like just freaking out. Um, but it paid off. Like and I messaged, oh, I was like. We were on the road and I was like texting again my cousin Paulina and I was like, I need a design. I need to like send this to the buyer of anthropology. Ah, like in the car, like making this thing like the Canva app. Like I cannot even explain. <laughs> and then I like she like sent me something and I put it together. It was like a mock-up and I sent it to the anthropology buyer and I was like, listen, I have hand sanitizer and it's you know it's good stuff. It's got the right amount of alcohol, but it also is like non-drying, whatever. There's no scent, but it's called Shiny Happy Hands. Um, and then they place an order for thousands of bottles, and that was amazing because at the start of the year, I was ready to quit Prem. I was done. Like it was just it, this is before the pandemic. It felt like stagnant. I didn't know it was going. It wasn't resonating again. Like I talked on like it kind of like. Yes, I worked my butt off because I don't know what else to do. But like, this was something I fell into, you know, this wasn't like a lifelong passion. I found ways to be passionate throughout the process, but I was like, I don't even know if this is what I want to do. And then with the pandemic, but you know, that was like another big turning point where I was like, again, I think I just love pressure. Like I'm really weird. And so, yeah, so then that saved the day and we ended up, uh, we ended up having a, a really great year, which I still feel super conflicted about um, and have to remind myself that like, I'm a mom, you know, I immigrated here, I'm deserving, like all this stuff because like WTF, right? Like a lot of people, like so many friends in the hospitality and all this stuff and like they're, you know, scared, so many friends on unemployment and like here I am, I, you know, 2020 was an amazing year in terms of that. But then, you know, now like January was also my worst month since I launched I mean things like after the holidays things were really bad and like right before then and things are doing better now but I'm just glad that I was able to pay off a bunch of credit cards because I mean when you start a small business everyone like glamorizes it but like honestly what it means is like a lot of risk and a lot of debt I you know I bootstrapped it so I didn't have any outside investors so it was just all me but yeah so I mean the lesson there was like you gotta pivot fast you know if like if you're in just you just go into survival mode and so that's what we did and so then now since we did the rebrand I, I needed that for myself to feel more connected to the brand so we are really like ramping up our giving back efforts um, with tiny blessings in the Philippines with the homeless kids in Manila and you know we joined one percent for the planet so I'm finding other ways to make prim just kind of like a front for just like and we like yeah we sell cool stuff but really I just want to give back and feel good about that yeah but yeah, so that's where we are now. We're just kind of picking up the pieces. And oh yeah, freaking Mark Zuckerberg, who is not my friend. Um, I mean, he's really not my friend. He has no idea who I am. But if I ever got to see him, I would be like, I don't like you, sir. Because he banned Facebook ads for hand sanitizer, which is so stupid. It's like he's already come after me for CBD and then now that. So then that 
thank God we were in all the anthropology stores because if not, like we couldn't even advertise. And I had like all of these bottles in the warehouse, but no, 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 it, it, it paid off. Yeah, I want to react to so much of what you said. One is what you said about um, kind of wanting to give back. I think that's that's one of the things I really love about your brand, actually, because I've seen the, the campaigns you've done for like Yellow Boat of Hope and which is yeah. a company, uh, not a company, sorry, a nonprofit in the Philippines that helps kids get to school because there are areas where they don't have, um, there are no roads to get to school. So they have to wade through yeah. water and it helps get them boats, right? So it's amazing. But you've also found a way, I think almost every season, you find a way to give back which is actually yes yeah. um yeah that's actually something yeah so we yeah yeah right? she's super inspirational she put up her business because she wanted to put up a foundation that helped female small business owners yeah really and that resonates with me because you know um going back to what i said earlier about this idea that i would be able to have a business while watching my son yes my hours are so much better than if i worked in production if i worked in production my hours would not be my own. I, overtime starts at 14 hours a day. Like when I say it's crazy, it's crazy. Like you travel at the drop of a hat, you've got no control. So yes, I have more control, but like I don't get to see my son because I can't work with him here. I tried having him at home with a nanny. It just, it doesn't work. It's also not really the best thing for him. I don't think, I mean, personally, um, so, you know, so he's in daycare. So what that means is like, I don't see him. Right. So I, you know, I love him. <laughs> he's kind of cute. So that means that my suddenly the shift in perspective for me was like, I, am I really just doing this just to like make money? And then because it's a startup, like, yeah, sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't, it's so up and down. So it's like, that can't even be enough of a motivating force. Like, what am I doing all day? Like when I tell him, you know, you're at, at school and mommy's at work. So, you know, before he was, he was born, I, we started with the yellow boat of hope. And then when I was pregnant, I mean, again, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. So I knew that this was kind of a driving force in the back of my head. And then when I was pregnant, then I, we partnered with Glory Reborn, which is based in Cebu, where my mom's from. And they help provide care to pregnant women who are uh, impoverished and who are in need and then give them support up until their baby is born and like their first round of medical needs and stuff. So we were able to sponsor some of the moms there, which has meant so much to me. And then after that, I met Kyle with Tiny Blessings, and he has gotten so many kids off of the streets in Makati. And I mean, he's wildly inspiring. You really should do a podcast on Kyle. Because he like, I'm he's, taking notes. Yeah, Kyle Javier. So he was living here in the States and then went back and then just like had a change of life, I guess, and like has been helping these kids and he's getting them into homes and educated and he's like dedicates his life to it. He's a young guy and he's, I mean, I, I think he's so inspiring. So because of Prim, you know, being able to meet these people and being able to give back, it's, it's really meant so much. I mean, I side note, like on a personal note, my younger brother has Down syndrome and when he was born 30 years ago, which is crazy, um, my parents started the Down Syndrome Association of the Philippines, and my dad was the very first chairman. So it was always instilled in me, and I'm so grateful for this idea that it's just not enough to stay in your lane and keep your head down and do your own thing. If you find yourself in any kind of position to give back in any way, it's not that you should do it, it's that you must do it. And that was always something that was big um in our household 
And so that's something that I hope to pass on to Ollie. And for purely selfish reasons, I believe in good karma. So it's not like I'm just such a good person. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, yeah, I believe in good karma. And also like, it, it feels good, man. Like it really does. It feels good to be able to help. And like, it's beauty. Like, you know, I mean, I, I side note, I should, I would be remiss to not say that my products truly are awesome and they are great and they smell wonderful and they are the best. <laughs> the people on my team are going to be like stuff you need to like promote prim more. But, uh, you know, I think what's even cooler is that we're able to sell these products and, and help people and, and help raise awareness as well. I know, absolutely. It's almost like the spirit of your father moving through you and yet another venture, if you think about it. Yeah, because no, of what it seriously. Is now, right? And what's even creepier is like my son is my father like he looks like him like he like because my dad um was second generation he's american but he, his whole family from spain like this is a whole other story but his real last name was solis solis yeah and then he got wamsley from like his british stepfather um but yeah my dad was like yeah in, immigrated to san francisco and was like completely self-made and all this stuff and you know and then my father-in-law is like Filipino that kind of looks like more like Filipino Chinese and it's just like my son comes along and like knocks out all the Filipino like all the Asian genes like looks exactly like my dad with like light hair he acts like my dad he's like super extroverted life of the party so yeah my father it's it's nice it's like he's he's always there which is great yeah so you did mention CBD <laughs> speaking yes. of like life of the party no, <laughs> no, you mentioned CBD. Can you talk a little bit about the products that you make that have CBD? They're sold at Anthropology, no? Yeah, and we sell them um, online and then a bunch of different retailers, actually. Like CBD does really well for us. So we have the Full Body High is a deeply relaxing body lotion that I love before bed. It, it really works and it smells delicious. It's got like peppermint and some rose and Philippine Elemi, which is a really cool essential oil from wood and it's very grounding and then we have her royal highness which is for period pain and the reliever which is for muscle aches and pains and yeah i mean again that same italian american guy tony <laughs> was like you know like years ago he was like you know stuff the next big thing is like a marijuana with no marijuana i was like what he's like yeah it's called a cbd you get the marijuana is no marijuana <laughs> like, okay you're crazy and then i heard about this brand um called the daily hit which was a was a drink with cbd in it and was like selling so much and everyone was like obsessed with it in new york um and so i called tony and i was like oh my god tony you were right he's like i told you of course i was right <laughs> okay so yeah another gamble uh got my toes dipped in cbd and it's been great for us <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know somebody who actually her I think her fiance slash partner's business is they cook with CBD. They do like food events. So smart. Yeah. They no, do like banquets for like really VIPs. Helps. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. Oh my God, I would love to go. Yeah, it's cool because we have a cannabinoid system. I can't even say it, but we all have this system already in us. And that's like, this is not like some hippie woo woo thing. Like that's just mm -hmm. science fact. Yeah. And it. And the CBD like helps, like triggers that basically. And it's like yeah. anti-inflammatory and relaxing. It's cool, man. Plants, plants are awesome. Yeah. Are there regulatory barriers in other countries? Because you, you mentioned Facebook wouldn't let you run the ads. Yeah. How, I mean, like, like the what, farm what bill passed. Yeah. Um, it's so annoying. It's like you can't, it's so hard to ship. I mean, it's still tough. Like, and we don't have, we don't use THC, which is the actual drug um, in marijuana. We don't have any of it in our products. It's just, it's derived from hemp. So 
I don't even know, but it's, it's super annoying. It's so annoying. Are you enjoying Steph's stories? I love the way she tells them. And I love inspiring female entrepreneurs. I am happy to announce that another female-owned small business, Beyond Function, is offering 20 Occupational Hazards listeners 10% off your next online order. Beyond Function offers furniture and accessories designed and produced in the Philippines. They aim to weave fun and imagination into all of their products, and their modern pieces are not only functional, but beautiful as well. I love the tasteful simplicity and the clean lines of their handwoven Halewa chair. That chair won the International A Prime Design Award in 2020. If you have a fur baby, you can actually get a matching rattan bed for your pet. And if you have an actual baby, they also have fun and functional kids' furniture, dollhouses, baskets, playhouses, not to mention beautiful dining tables, chairs, and more. I particularly love that for their accessories, they use packaging that's made of repurposed or upcycled materials, so it's good for the environment as well. If you want to get 10% off your next order, just go to Beyond Function, P-H, that's Beyond Function, P and H, dot com. Place your order and then type Hazards 10, that's Hazards 10, all caps, one word, Hazards 10 at checkout. This is only good for the first 20 customers, but these customers can come from anywhere in the world as Beyond Function ships globally. Let's support our female-owned small businesses. And now, back to stuff. Okay. You talked a lot about being a mom, which seems to be one of, if not the biggest role in your life thus far. It comes up in every interview. It's on your profile. I actually crowdsourced some questions because I said, hey, I'm going to interview this super mom on my podcast. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what questions would you have? So I crowdsourced a bunch of questions. And then some of my friends who were moms gave this feedback that, or who are moms gave this feedback that's like, you know, we've seen all these interviews with super moms and it's always like, how do you balance everything? Like, mm. how do you make it work? And mm. they were like, what are her struggles? They were like, we want something real mm-hmm. because we want to know yeah. that not everything is, you know, Instagrammable and, you know, yeah. and, and, and not totally. everyone has it all together. So they're like, we just want to feel like normal and that this is like normalized, not having it, you know, picture perfect all the time. So maybe you could talk about some of the challenges as well as how you overcame them in terms of balancing it all or I, not balancing I would all. love to. No, I, I panicked one day because I had a friend who I kind of knew peripherally and she was a mom and she was, you know, after all, he was like a year old and she was like, you know, I'm having a really hard time. She's like, how do you do it? You make it look so easy. And I was like, what? No, like I felt like responsible. And I was like, no, like I try, I've, I've shared a lot um, online and I try to be super vo- vocal about it. I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety right after Ollie was born. I had an emergency C-section, which you know I've come to discover can lead to it. But also, honestly, being like a type A control freak also really leads to it too, because it's like, you can't Google some things, you know? Like you can Google how to produce a film, but not really like how to get your kid to stop crying or like what to do, or just the feelings of uh, overwhelming uncertainty. I mean, they are, they will slap you in the face. I actually, I, I didn't even 
really bond with him until he was about four months old, which is crazy to say now because he's almost three and like, oh my God, we're, we're so bonded. Like he's, I love him so much. Like we're so close. We, he was my little buddy, but you know, I always still get like a pang of jealousy, I guess. Like every time a mom gives birth and you know, their Instagram post is like instant love, instant happiness, just all happiness. Like I didn't have that at all. Like I remember being in the hospital and looking at my husband and freaking out and just saying like, I don't feel what I think you're supposed to feel. Like, I don't get it. I waited for this moment my entire life. Like, why don't I feel those things? And he was like, you just had major surgery. You're exhausted. This is a foreign, uh, foreign child. Like we don't know. We never met him. Like, even though he's, you know, grew inside you, uh, which, you know, was all really good sound advice. And then when Ollie was two weeks old, um, by then I was really just so in my head and kind of really spinning out um, emotionally would just really, I've never been prone to depression in my life. I've always been more prone to anxiety and I've always been able to use that to, I've known how to become friends with my anxiety at this point and and use it to propel me forward. Like it's what kind of gives me that extra push, whether that's healthy or not. Um, But this was very, very different. You know, this was, I knew that this was a different kind of anxiety that I could not outthink, that I could not shape into any kind of a positive way. There was just nothing yeah, there was nothing about this that was good. And my husband, I remember he held me one night and he was like, come back to me. I don't know where you went, but you need to come back. Cause I just, I was like convinced at three in the morning that I had to change Ollie's swaddle like three times. Like that's why he was crying, like just out of my mind. And so he was like, baby, you need to go see your doctor. And so I did, I went to my OB who's an amazing OB in New York. And he was always kind of like a fun guy, whatever. And the second that I told him that I wasn't feeling like myself, he closed the door and he took it really seriously. And he's like, look, I I saw how you gave birth and you had this crazy emergency C-section. You probably have PTSD. He's like, but besides that, like you've just gone through something really life-changing. I'm like, you need, you know, that's, it's okay. Address that. And I was like, well, you know, I think I just need like a value or like a clonip. And like, I still wasn't accepting that I, I needed actual medication. He's like, okay, well, if you, you know, a Valium or clonopin or something like that, we would give you if you kind of knew when you were going to have these attacks or like if they were tied to something like, do you know when and I was like no I don't know when like it I was in the drugstore crying because I couldn't figure out which band-aid to buy like there were so many freaking band-aid choices and he was like okay I think you really need a daily medication to level you out it was it's called Effexor um, and I was like no I don't want to take something daily like I you know I'm, I'm still trying to breastfeed and he was like stuff there is no breast milk from a stressed out mom that is going to be better than formula from a relaxed one. And he held my hands and he was like, your only job right now as a mom is to take care of yourself and your own energy because you will pass that on to your baby. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was scared and I took this medicine and it was magical. (laughs) It took a couple of weeks to kick in. And when it did, I was like, ah, like I totally understood why this medicine even exists. Um, I was on Effexor for a whole year. I knew that I wanted to get off of it. And I did. I was able to successfully wean off of it. And I still, you know, I still get triggered sometimes if he has a tantrum or whatever, but I am leaps and bounds better. But I, I wanted to take the medicine, but also just like really work on myself. And what did that mean? It meant that I, for once, had to really put myself first unapologetically. It helps that I truly like Ollie has an amazing dad my husband is super hands-on whatever he couldn't do you know like he would definitely like help get hired help and like when Ollie was three months he went to daycare which is actually super normal here when people go back to work I was also working throughout this (laughs) like P.S. I wrote my 
away message when my water broke. After the epidural, I got like an urgent thing that I had to approve like box artwork or else it would, the production would be delayed a month. So I'm like, Avi, can you please proofread this? Because I literally have contractions in an epidural right now. Like I had, I was like sticking, um, Oh what do you call goodness. it? I was doing like price. Yeah, seriously. I was like price tags on like these boxes going to anthropology with Ollie was like five days old, <laughs> like on my lap, like crazy. So yeah, I finally got a break when he went to daycare and I, and I knew that I was on this medicine, but I knew that I needed to like get a handle on this. And so I, a little bit controversial, maybe I will not say that being a mom is my most important role. I mean, I will sideline that I put that on the side here for a second but my most important role I've come to learn is to myself first and foremost you know like if my marriage wasn't happy and it wasn't serving me I would get out of it you know I've like I said I've been divorced this is my second marriage he's amazing like I have no plans to ever leave him but like you know I understand that now you know I like I understand that like life is short like you need to strive for that peace and that joy within yourself like you know if I wasn't happy with like job like I would find a way to like how do I improve this you know it's like there's a friend in my life that's not serving me or that is toxic like I need to cut that you know I just I need to do these things so that I can be the best mom and the best version of myself and like you know the best wife and the best daughter and the best friend and all these freaking roles that we carry especially as women but I think that you know in the beginning I was thinking of Ollie first even throughout pregnancy when some of the anxiety was already totally creeping in. And I was like, how do I be the best mom for him? And like, when, for some reason, when that was my focus and I, and I took the, myself like, oh, to be the best mom means that like, I can't shower and I just have to stay on his floor while he cries. And I, and I can't say that I need help because he needs me because I have to be the best mom and, and asking for help or, you know, getting a massage. Like that's being a bad mom. Like once I turned that stuff off, then I, everything kind of clicked. It's like, yes, I had the medication to like help just balance my freaking hormones and the chemical imbalance, but I was able to be more present, you know, like at the end of the day, when I would see all the after school, like I was with him on weekends, like we do, it's like magical playland in my house, you know, because, because I'm, I'm, I'm happy otherwise. And when I see him, he gets the best of me. And that is the best thing I can do for him. I'm, I used to want like many kids. And I think I'm definitely a one and done, which I was super emotional for me to admit I really thought I would be defined by having all these kids, but I realized what I've always wanted to be is a great mom. And me personally, with how much I do like to take on in my personal life and how much I do need that truly to tick. Um, and it's like my therapy, all this work. I don't know how I could have another kid and, you know, I'll be 39, which is crazy. Um, and like balance all that. So, you know, my husband and I had a long talk and I was like, you know, I think just one child and then all these projects that are like my other little babies. And then I can really give the best of myself. So, you know, to any mom that's listening to this, like, oh my God, it's okay. I understand Like, it is so hard. It is harder than you thought. And it can feel really lonely. And if it happens to you, like it happened to me where you do have a postpartum thing that is just not your fault. Because I thought I was naive. I was like, I want a baby more than anything. There's no way I'm going to have a postpartum issue. And I did. And it hit me like a freight truck. And, you know, my message to them is like, take care of yourself, ask for help, like, demand it. You know, sometimes if you have a male partner, sometimes, you know, men really need to be told, like, we'll think that they get our hints. Like, nah, they're not that subtle. You know, that's a woman thing for sure. Like, be like, I can't do this. I need help. You need to take the baby. I need to go outside for a walk or like, you know, I mean, whatever you can do within the parameters of this pandemic, but like, I'm sure you can go take a walk or like, I'm gonna take a bath. Goodbye. You know, like, I want to drink this wine. I can't deal with it. You know, and I would do that. 
And, um, and he, he responded amazingly. And um, yeah, I mean, if there's, it's not freaking easy and, you know, follow me on Instagram and I share all the time, but it's a challenge. And, and I, and I think that there are moments that are beautiful. And I think that, and so many moments and the joy that I have felt is, I mean, it's unlike anything else, you know, really, but the hard cards, oh my God, <laughs> they're really, really hard. And I think it's, it's okay to talk about both. You know, I think women need more permission to talk about both. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, I mean, that is, I, I don't know any other way to close this out. <laughs> no, it's really, I would, my, it's a, my, that was a mic drop moment. I think that, especially during this pandemic, I think a lot of, I saw this stat that said, like, we've set the clock back 30 years in terms of labor force participation. There's like record numbers of women dropping out of the workforce to take care of things at home, whether it's you know, children or, you know, right. women being expected to be caregivers for other people in their households. So you know, that message, I think, whether or not it's for mothers, I think for a lot of women or people who take on a caregiver role in a household, not necessarily a woman, I think that was a super powerful and necessary message right now. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you yeah. so much. And, and honestly, like I have shared and like helped, you know, I've had friends that are like, hey, my friend's going through something. She just gave birth. Can you talk to her? And I've literally talked to complete strangers. As you can tell, I have no problem talking. So literally, if anyone's listening to this, you can reach out. Don't be shy. Um, I, I mean that seriously, because I get it. It's freaking lonely. So yeah, you know, reach out. I'll talk you through it. I'll make you feel more normal. <laughs> um, and I will never, ever judge you. Wow. That's actually ties into something I wanted to ask, which is how can people find you online or keep track of what you're doing next? Uh, you, I mean, you mentioned Instagram. Um, yeah, so I'm always on Instagram. I like yeah. live there um, at Steph, S-T-E-F-W-D-B. And then, um, yeah, follow along on Prim. Yeah, those are the best ways. And then, but yeah, I'm, I have yeah. like an Instagram problem. Will- <laughs> <laughs> My excuse is that I'm on it for work with Prim, but like really, I'm just always on it. <laughs> and you have the best stories, so. <laughs> so many you talked a bit about you know ups and downs of being a producer but in terms of being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. yeah. if you had to since the podcast is called occupational hazards yes. before we move to the grab background what would you tell somebody who wasn't sure if they wanted to embark on that journey you know don't be an entrepreneur if blank yeah so I've thought about this a lot I talked about how my husband is like not an entrepreneur and like we joke about it but I really think that you're either meant to like work for a company or work for yourself and both avenues could you could be wildly successful both avenues you could not be successful it doesn't mean anything I think we need to take away this like glamorization of what it is to be an entrepreneur and have a startup because it's it's a bunch of bs like I think it's a lot more simple than that it's truly how you work best and who you are. I don't think I'm the best employee. I'm pretty sure I'm not. (laughs) You know, I get along really well with all my past bosses and I've turned them into like mentors, but we, you know, we all kind of (laughs) laugh about it. Like, I think they find me engaging maybe, but I do best when it's my own thing. So you have to be able to really thrive under pressure and kind of, like I said, get off on that, but you have to be able to be, you can't be risk averse. It's like risk makes you crazy. You can't do it. If you're not willing to like really put so much on the line, um, it's not for you, you know? Yeah. Like you get to make your own hours and that's cool, but you have to be like very self-starting when you need to be like my own hours means that I'm always working. Like I've answered, like I literally have answered emails in the shower. I mean, I don't know. I don't even think twice about it. It's just how I am. So that's really it. Like 
whatever you want to do beyond that, you know, I, I would hope that you are identifying a need and you're really trying to put something out into the world that you think can in some small way make it better, that it needs to be there, that you care about, like, please care about it. Like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs just are like, oh, like, this is a cool idea, but they don't really care. They just think it sounds cool. And it's like, the reason why I say that is because, you know, the honeymoon phase will end pretty quickly. And then you're left with work, you know, and drudgery and caring has to get you through that somehow. But it also just really, it just goes back to like, this, this is how you kick or not. And you have to identify that inside yourself. And it's okay if it doesn't, you know, give it a shot. And maybe, maybe within the world of entrepreneurship, there's like, yeah, there's the, the philanthropic part, whatever, but maybe it's still like better if it's not ultimately all your responsibility, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I've just come to embrace that this is it for me. <laughs> this yeah. is my path. Would you have, if you could go back in time, would you study something else in school or take additional courses? Because in terms of producing and being an entrepreneur, do you think that there's, there are even any classes that could have prepared you for this? So I've won an award for like best producer at NYU and I never went to NYU, but please do not tell my son Oliver because I'm going to lie to him and tell him mama <laughs> went to grad school at NYU. Um, well, I know like NYU has an amazing MFA program. I talked to the Dean and I was like, I feel like I've, because I produced several films there, like not just Luke's. I was like, I feel like I've actually produced more films here than would be required to graduate. He's like, yeah, fair enough. But from what I've heard from, I have a lot of friends in film school, they, they really love it for the connections, um, especially at like a graduate level. But no, I mean, nothing that I do really requires a degree, but networking is, is really important. And I guess if you want to, if for sure, like if it's something more like technical, like cinematography or something like that, like, yeah, definitely go to school, like learn all the things, but it's, you also could be completely self-taught. I think a lot of this is like going to culinary school, at least in Prim's case, where you learn the tools, the techniques, the words, but ultimately it's up to you to create something on your own, right? No one else can really teach you that. Yeah, that's a, that's good advice. I, I do think that there is that common thread though among all my friends that are entrepreneurs, like they didn't work well within the system and they, that, that's yeah, actually, yeah. At all. Yeah. And it's hard, man. Like, cause you, you see all your friends and they're like, you know, they're climbing the ladder and they've got this title and this title and this promotion and this promotion. And you're kind of going like sideways, left, right, whatever. But, um, but no, I think the world needs both. Okay. So we're going to pause a bit from the occupational hazards and just go okay. through this quick list of questions before we say goodbye. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe you could answer in like a word or a few words, um, just a sure. quick, quick fire round. Um, Whichever so, ones I can think yeah, of. <laughs> yeah. What inspires you? my son and people more successful than me work of art or a film that you wish you'd created a tv show fleabag oh my god uh, really the wish. priest <laughs> Best. fictional character who would be your dream partner hermione granger so that i could just take a nap and <laughs> she could do everything yeah amazing <laughs> What would you want written on your tombstone as your legacy? It's a good one. I haven't thought about it. Um, I think she lived. Recommended reading? Or since you're in the movie slash TV well, business, what should we be watching or reading right now? Oh my gosh, so many. Both her books, Just Kids, Patti Smith, set in New York uh, before she was famous, she wrote it. 
uh, recommended viewing. Again, if you haven't seen Fleabag, what is wrong with you? Watch it. Ozark, Succession. I don't know. I literally, you can DM me. I have so many. Okay. Your vote to play you in the movie about your life. I don't really know. I mean, people tell me that I look like Anne Hathaway, but obviously, you know, if, if we're dreaming, of course, Angelina Jolie, right? Penelope <laughs> 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 Cruz. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. It's a good question, though. Okay. Favorite role that you've done? Um, like acting you know role. What? Yeah. You know what? Till this day, it's still when I played Juliet in high school. Hi to um, Tammy Monsoud, my teacher and like forever mentor. Yeah, Juliet. That was that was my favorite. Yeah. Okay. I I have to say though, I think most of you were a big figure in our or in Pinoy pop culture. <laughs> so many of us grew up with like a lot of the commercials that you did and like magazine covers and whatnot. And I know I, I told you this um, earlier, but I know that. Chris, you know how Chris Hemsworth did Dancing with the Stars and every yeah. on every press tour they would like bring up this clip and he looked like he was dying of embarrassment but you did such a good job in the feminine care I'm not going to mention the brand <laughs> not an ad in that feminine care commercial and you know you made it in the hands of like a less I guess adept actress it would have been like cheesy but you made it like so it looks like sweet and funny at the same time and I wish I could like show a clip but it's so good it's so good so funny no I need to tell you yeah that was a pop culture (laughs) moment because I actually I worked for an ad agency and a rival consumer products company which again, I'm not going to mention on the pod. And everyone was, even people managing like rival brands and doing campaigns for rival brands was like, that ad was so good. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, it's so well done. Like the way they did the zipper. People who haven't seen the ad are not going to understand it. (laughs) I'm going to try to look for a clip. Yeah, you can can send me a message. Um, But no, so I, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm not going to do a sanitary napkin commercial, but then it was great. It was super funny. And it was like, whatever, I'll just, you know, move to New York. And <laughs> but like, yeah, awesome. I'm so glad I did it. And I mean, your whole journey has been, I think, incredibly inspiring. And I, I think the most inspiring thing has been how real and down to earth and grounded and honest you've been about uh, kind of your whole journey, um, how you got to where you are, and even kind of where you're going next, as well as you know what people can learn from you and I think that's uh that's amazing you're like the the mentor that I think a lot of us wish we had earlier you know telling us it's gonna be okay even if we were like struggling through certain parts so yeah I think you're in the business of healing <laughs> I oh I never thought of it that way but yeah. I but I like that because you the art you make like nourishes the soul and then the products that you're selling like make people feel good inside out and and your words are very healing. So I think um, we can add to your title, a healer. <laughs> Stuff is I a like healer. Yeah. I like that. I've been told I'm an empath. So I ah. guess that's along <laughs> the same line. Yeah. But thank you. No, this was, um, this was wonderful. It's like taking a trip down my own memory lane. So yeah. I really appreciate it. And I hope that anyone listening, um, that this has been helpful in any way. I'd love to connect with you guys beyond the podcast. So yeah, I'm here. Okay, thank you so much and have a good rest of your week and please give a hug to little Ollie. I will. Thank you so much and congrats on the podcast. This is such a great idea and yeah, this is this is great. I love this. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much.
Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share with a friend so that others can find the pod as well. Do check out at occupationalhazards.podcast on Instagram, where we have more updates from our guests and some listener feedback. Slide into our DMs. We'd love to hear from you. Catch you next episode.